First Corinthians chapter 10, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there and we're only going to get to verse number through verse number 22 today and I'm not going to start verse 23 and following until next week, but I felt like I need to wrap up some of what we talked about last week. First Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be looking once again in verses 1 down through verse number 22. I'm going to recap just a little bit of what we talked about last week. Now if you remember back in chapter 8, uh, The church at Corinth, the believers there, they had written Paul a letter. They were concerned about a few things in in their life. In chapter 8, they were concerned about eating this meat that had been offered up to idols. The last verse in that chapter, Paul said, If meat offends my brother, I'm just not going to eat it altogether. And it's talking about uh, offending one another with what we may do. The whole premise or the topic here is Christian liberty. And a lot of times it deals with the, <clears throat> not necessarily the do's and the don'ts. There are do's and don'ts mentioned in Scripture. There are things that are, that, are, that are just black and white. I mean, they're as clear as day. As we read them, we see his, some of his commands. But I think this implies more to the gray areas that we may not have good understanding of whether we should partake of something or not. And that's what chapter 8 is dealing with. He brings it on into chapter number 10, and we intentionally skip chapter 9. We're going to go back and cover that as soon as we wrap up uh, chapter 10. But I think chapter, or ch- chapter 10 is a, is a good uh, reflection of chapter 8. And while chapter 8 is fresh on your mind, I want to jump right into that, and then we're going to come back to, uh, uh, to chapter number 9. But chapter 10, <clears throat> he's continuing. He's given an example. He's actually giving three warnings to these strong believers, okay? Really, chapter 10 is addressed to these strong Christians because it's the strong Christians that initially wrote Paul and said, hey, you know, we're getting a little bit of um, uh, we're getting a little bit of repercussions, if you will, or a little bit of uh, of an attack on doing this. And we know that eating this meat offered to these idols is, is nothing. We know the idols are nothing. We know the meat is nothing. We know it's not hindering our relationship with you. But what they failed to see, that it was making some young Christians stumble. So it was the strong Christians, these mature Christians, strong Christians that had this issue. And so they were writing Paul. Paul in chapter 10 is primarily addressing these strong believers, these strong Christians. And you're going to see that. He's given them three warnings in chapter number 10 to these strong believers. And the first warning uh, we talked about, actually the first two we talked about last week. The first one is found in verses 1 through 4. Paul warned that privileges were no guarantee of success. And all the privileges that we have by being a child of God is, does not necessarily guarantee us. When I'm talking about success, I'm talking about the blessings. I'm talking about the victorious Christian life that, that we can live. Okay, And he gives the illustration... Of the children of Israel being brought and delivered out of Egypt and coming through the wilderness and crossing the Red Sea and coming up to the Jordan and how some got to go over into the promised land into Jordan and some did not. And last week I helped, I tried to help you understand that the promised land that the children of Israel were going to, that God was delivering them out of Egypt and taking them to this place, the promised land is not a type of heaven. Back when they crossed the Red Sea out of Egypt and started their journey crossing the Red Sea, from there on is a type of, of salvation, if you will. Okay, So they're saved and, and they're, they're in, so to speak, it's a, it's a type of heaven from there on. A lot of times we think the promised land is a type of heaven, but it isn't. You know what it is? It's the next step for the believer. After salvation, it doesn't end there. 
It's given a life of commitment to the Lord and really living for Him and really striving to please Him. And then we can cross the Jordan and get into the land of Canaan as, a, as, a, as an image here, if you will. And that's a type of victorious Christian living. Now, have you, have you noticed there's some Christians that seem to just live in the blessings of God and, and there's some Christians that seem to just stumble along the entire way? Have you seen that? We all have, if we'll be honest. We can look around and we can see a believer that's mature and it seems like the blessings of God is just, it's just being dumped on them. And, and they're enjoying their life and they're just walking in the blessings. But then we look around as we evaluate and look around, we see others. It seems like we know they're saved. They've accepted Christ as their Savior and they're, they're trying their best, but they're just, just kind of just staggering and stumbling along as, as a Christian. We've seen that. What's the difference? One is living a victorious Christian life, and the other is, to give a word picture with the children of Israel, it just kind of wandering around in the wilderness and hasn't committed, completely devoted all of their life to really honoring God. Maybe life is a little bit for them a little bit selfish, and it's more about me than it is about pleasing God. Well, that's a type of what we see here in this passage of Scripture. Whenever we mention verses 1 through 4 about how Paul warned that the privileges are no guarantee of success. I think the success that I'm mentioning there is not heaven. The success that I'm mentioning is victory in your life. To be able to live under the blessings of God. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that the blessings are just going to naturally flow to you. Okay? There's some things, and that's a picture that he was giving us in verses 1 through 4. And he says, now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock, and they followed them, the rock of Christ. And there we see that these are the privileges that all of them had, but they all didn't get into the promised land, did they? No, they didn't. Now, the problem that I have, if people say that the promised land is a type of heaven, that you don't have Moses there. Because Moses didn't get there, did he? He got to see it from afar, but he didn't get there. So I think a lot of times there's a lot of Christians like that. Whenever we think about the promised land being a type of victorious Christian living, I think sometimes they get so close and they view it and it's starting. And then all of a sudden they start maybe backsliding or, or doing something indifferent between their life and, and God and, and the blessings don't come. So the privileges of being a Christian, of being saved, is certainly does no guarantee of success. Let me go on to verses 5 through verse number 12. This is the second one we talked about last week. I'm just going to hit it in, in as a reference here this morning. The second warning that Paul gave, beginning in verse number 5, is that good beginnings don't necessarily guarantee good endings. And here we see in chapter 5, Paul is unpacking some of the events that happened in the children of Israel in their life. Uh, I think these are, these are tremendous study, each one of these events. And I encourage you, I don't have time to unpack them all here this morning. But I encourage you to run the references on each one of these events. Look what he says in verse number 5. But God was not pleased with them. Who is that? It's talking about Israel. When he brought them out of Egypt. They're now they've crossed the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They're going to the promised land. God was not pleased with them. May that never be said of you, that God is not pleased with you. And I don't want that to be said of me. 
that God is not pleased with me. And I think that's a very sad statement that God said about some of those. He was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the desert. Verse 6. Now these things became an example for us. Now take notice of that verse. Matter of fact, if you connect some verses in your Bible or you highlight some, I would encourage you to highlight verse number 6 along with verse number 11. Verse number 6 says, now these things became examples for us. Verse number 11 says, now these things happened to them as examples and they were written as a warning to us. So here we can go back and study the life of Israel and we can see that that what God did in and through their life was certainly a, a marvelous and wonderful thing. And there were all kind of miracles that took place. And yes, he was concerned about them individually at that time. But what we can do, we can go back and learn from them. And a lot of what they did is just an example for us. And that's what Paul is warning. He's given these warnings here in chapter 10. He said, look at Israel. May that be our example of what will happen if you do this and what will happen if you don't do that. Okay? And he gives that warning. We see it twice in verse 6 and verse 11 where they are an example and then the warning that he gives. So back to verse number 6. Now these became examples for us. So that we will not desire evil as they did. Verse 7, don't become idolaters. And if you make a reference in your Bible, or if you have a good reference Bible, it's probably probably already there. But here's the reference for that. It's Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 6. And here's where these individuals, it says, they became idolaters, as some of them were. And, And as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to play. May that be an example for us that we do not become idolaters. Now, Paul's leading into the whole premise of them eating meat that was offered at the table of an idol. But he's saying, look back to the children of Israel. They became idolaters. What happened in Exodus chapter 32? You remember when Moses is up on the mount. And there he's getting the Ten Commandments from God. I mean, this is their leader that's separating. They can see the, the glory of God that's settled on this mountain. And they know that their leader is up there in communion with God and he's meeting with God, but they get restless. They don't have enough patience to wait on Moses, to wait on God. And so they're going to do their own thing. What do they do? They gather all the jewelry and all the gold and all the earrings and everything and they get it all together and they melt it down. And what do they create? This golden calf that they worship. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, he's all excited. He's been with God. And he comes down and lo and behold, what have the people done? They've already turned against God and started worshiping this man-made image. May that be a warning to us. You see, a good beginning doesn't guarantee a good ending. I mean, any time along the path, sometimes we can just turn from following God and worshiping Him and start worshiping something else. And a lot of times it usually happens when we are living under the blessings of God and God starts blessing our love for being one of His children and striving to have a good relationship with Him. And He starts blessing us and then we start looking at the blessing. Hello? We start looking at the blessing, whether it's the job He's given us, whether it's a good salary that He's given us, Whether it's a home that he's given us, whether it's clothes that he's given us, whether it's a car that he's given us, whether it's a bank account. I mean, all these things are blessings from God. Huh? But here's where we'll make our mistake. We'll start now looking at the blessings 
and start worshiping the blessings and getting comfortable there and lose our focus and not be worshiping God. And then we become idolaters. Right? Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said you can't worship God and money. God and mammon. Right? So we got to be careful there. May that be a warning for us. Here's another one that he gives. And I can't unpack all these like I did that one. Just let me make a reference to them. Number 8, or verse number 8. Let us not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. God didn't put up with junk, guys. Hello? You know, a lot of times we think we can live this Christian life, and we're just, oh, whatever, we'll just do our things. No big deal. It is a big deal. You may not think it's a big deal, but God thinks it's a big deal. And you go out doing your own thing, especially as a child of God. You go out doing your own thing and you start living a life that's not pleasing unto him. And I promise you, honey, God will take you behind the spiritual woodshed. Hello? Now, we had a woodshed growing up. Matter of fact, my dad heated our house with wood and it was my job every summer to cut the wood and store it up. And boy, I used to hate that, but I love the work ethics he put in me as a child. I used to despise it, though, every summer my friends are out running around and playing and doing all this and that and the other, and, and I'm having to work and cut wood. And, but I've been behind the woodshed a time or two, physically, literally, right? I've been there spiritually, too. Probably most of us have, if we'll admit it. Uh, we've been there from time to time, and it's not a pleasant place to be, is it? But that's in Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 8. You'll find that story. In verse number 9, he says, Let us not tempt Christ, as some of them did. And they were destroyed by snakes. That's Numbers chapter 21 and verse number 6. If you have a good reference Bible, those references are probably already in there for you. Then verse number 10, Nor should we complain. Hello. Did we hear this one? Nor should we complain. As some of them did. Hello? Let's say that together. Nor should we complain. Now let me ask you something. Parents, do you just enjoy? I mean, don't you just look forward to the day when you sit down in an evening meal with your children? And don't you just enjoy when they come to the meal and they complain about everything in their life? Don't you enjoy that? Well, no, we don't enjoy that. Matter of fact, well, I won't tell you what it does to me, but that pushes me over the edge in my family. It's complaining, you, you ain't got nothing to complain about. And you know what, as a child of God, we don't have anything to complain about either. But this murmuring, and this complaining, and this nagging, and yeah, 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 don't do that! God says don't do it. The example that he gave us, look if you will, is Numbers chapter 16 in verse 41 through 60. Nor should we complain as some of them did. They were killed by the destroyer. You better be glad you and I live under the day of grace. Hello? <laughs> I wonder how many of us would be dead right now if we lived in the Old Testament. <laughs> I'd probably, I'd probably be dead. <laughs> Thank God we live under grace. Thank God we have a gracious, merciful, kind God that's long-suffering uh, and patient and tempered and on and on and on and on. His grace is amazing. 
And it literally saves you. It saves your tail every single day. God, literally, God's grace does. But the Bible says that we shouldn't complain. They complain, God brought judgment on them. Let us not tempt cross, some of them did. Let us not complain. Verse 11, now these things happened to them as examples and they were written to us, or written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. And look what he says in verse number 12. And by the way, I encourage you, if you want some good devotion stuff this week, just start right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and go back and read each one of those stories. It is really good, good stuff, and you'll enjoy that. But in verse number 12, he says, Therefore, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. The King James, I remember memorizing this verse years ago, and it says, Take heed, lest ye fall. Watch out. You're not above falling. And the children of Israel is an example for us. These are God's people. His chosen people. Now, you would think that if we lived in the day when Israel lived and we were brought out of Egypt and we actually witnessed all these miracles of these plagues that were given as God's delivering us out of Egypt, and then if we literally got to walk through the Red Sea, like the children of Israel got to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, and there they saw these walls of water lifted up and... Couldn't you imagine walking that day through the Red Sea? And you're walking through the Red Sea and, man, there's a shark. <laughs> fish, I don't know, whatever's in the Red Sea. You see all these, all these, these fish and all this stuff in the Red Sea and it's like, it's like a, 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 a zoo or, or a, not, not a zoo. What is it? Aquarium that you walk through and you can, you can see all of this and you would think if you literally Walk through a dusty riverbed. It does say dry ground. Preacher, you really believe that? Why sure I do? Dry, I'm not going to get into the other. Dry ground, they walk through. Walls of water. If you really walk through that, you would think, man, there ain't no way that I'm turning back on God. There's no way that I'm going to be unfaithful. There's no way that I'm going to murmur and complain. There's no way that I'm going to tempt Christ. There's no way that I'm going to commit idolatry. There's no way in the world I'm going to do all. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of those Jewish people were destroyed because they did just that. Therefore, take heed lest you fall. That's what Paul is saying. You that are strong and, oh, I'll, Paul, you don't understand us here at Corinth. We are, we are intellectual and we are, we are men of stature and we're men of reputation and renown and we've got intellect and we've got spiritual maturity. We're not going to fall by eating that meat that's been offered up to idols. Paul said, take heed lest you fall. You see, in the South, we say it like this. If you lay with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. Hello? Take heed, lest you fall. And I promise you, that thing that you're playing around with, that you think you've got the victory over, will rise up one of these days and bite you. And I gave the example last week of some of these trained wild animals, if you will. Maybe... From birth and this, what was it, a, um, what was the thing last week? Yeah, that grizzly bear. Two people 
One died. The other one, I don't think, died. The first one, the very same week, you know, I guess he tasted blood. You know, and, you know, there he went again. Well, they had this thing trained and playing with it every day and feeding it. And Take heed, guys. Same thing with whatever it is that we may be playing around with that may be in a gray area and we think we've got control over it and it's not going to rise up and bite us. Paul says, take heed lest you fall. Whoever thinks he stands, let it be a warning to you. Be careful not to fall. I want to get to verse number 13 and following. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. Now this is the third warning that Paul has given us from verse 13 down through verse number 22. Here's the third warning that he's given us that be warned that God can enable us to overcome temptation if we take heed to his word. Okay? He can enable us to overcome a temptation if we take heed to his word. And no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. Guys, you realize, ladies, also, none of us have, has ever been tempted with anything that everybody else had at one time been tempted, tempted with. It's common. All your temptations are common. Now, there's some that are weaker in different areas than others with their particular area of vulnerability and where they may fall and stumble in sin, but it's pretty common. The Bible says, it's common to humanity. God is, I like this, faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. You know, if we just, if we just break this verse down and we get all the way to the nitty-gritty bottom of it, you, you know what it is? We have the ability, with this scripture... To live a sinless life. Right? Now, I'm not saying we're like Christ. Don't go out of here and say, he says we're like Jesus and we can be sinless. No. I understand that we are human. And I understand that we, we were born with this sinful nature. But that sinful nature dies out in that we have the nature of Christ on us now. And we should be walking in the newness of life, as the Bible teaches us. And, but here with every single temptation... That you are tempted with. The Bible says there is a way of an escape for you. But we don't always take that way of escape, do we? We'll entertain that temptation. And many times we'll stumble and fall as a result of it. But God is faithful. I like this next part. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able. More than you, more than you can endure. More than you can stand. Have you ever felt like you've gone through life sometimes and... And it's just more on you than you can, oh man, I just can't handle this much more. You ever been there? God's faithful. He knows what you can handle. And he's not going to put more on you or allow more to happen to you than he believes that, that you can handle and withstand. He knows how much you can handle. And a lot of times, you know what God does through all of this? A lot of times God is just growing us and stretching us. But with every temptation, he says, there is a way of escape. Let me encourage you. Next time you're tempted, stop and look for that way of escape. It's there, but sometimes we're so engrossed with the temptation that we fail to look for it. It's probably not going to be a big door with a bright shining light and a neon sign saying, this is it, but, but it's there. Okay? 
That way of escape is, is there. So next time you are tempted, the next time Satan throws a fiery dart at you and you're tempted, I want you to call a timeout, take a step or two back, disconnect from the situation for just a moment, emotionally, spirits, everything, disconnect, and then look in there and say, okay, God, there's a way of escape. What should I do? And for you guys sitting at the computer, it may turn the thing off and walk away. You'd be amazed at how many men are in internet pornography. Turn it off, walk away. Get outside, pick weeds in the flower bed. Hello? I don't know whatever the temptation is, guys. Ladies as well. Whatever it is. Some of the ladies, that I know this for a fact... Some of the ladies are tempted with excessive spending. I mean, it's an obsession with them. And they've got to hit the malls every weekend and, and run up the credit card debt and get stuff. And Hello? How could we avoid that temptation? Don't go to the mall. Just giving you an example. There is a way of escape with every temptation, whatever it is that we may be confronted with. Look what he says in verse number 14. Here's the way. Therefore, my friends, flee from idolatry. You see, what's our way of escape? Flee. 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 Within the context, he's talking about idolatry, and he's talking about these strong spiritual mature believers sitting down at the, at the pagan temples and eating the meat that had been offered there. And, and Paul's saying, listen, take heed lest you fall. You keep messing around with that long enough, you're going to fall into that. And by the way, you want a great biblical example of that? Study the life of Jehoshaphat. Study his life a little bit and go back and read that. But let's bring it back. They were sitting there. Paul says, listen, take heed. Lest you fall. The best thing you can do is flee. Just get out of that situation altogether. Flee idolatry. Here's a statement that I wrote in my notes I want to share with you. The believer who thinks he can stand may fall. But the believer who flees will stand every time. Did you get that? The believer who thinks that he can stand... He may fall, but the believer who flees, he'll stand every time. And Paul is saying that what we need to do is flee from idolatry. Now, every little gray area that you can think of in your life, should I do that, should I not do that, the safest bet for you, just flee from it. Just don't do it at all. Paul said, if I do it and it offends my brother... I've sinned against Christ, and I've sinned against Him, and I've sinned, and therefore I'm just not going to do it at all. And that's why it says flee. You see, there's something to be said about Christian separation. And let's go on a little bit farther here. I've got, what time am I supposed to quit? i got two minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to get it done. Let me share with you. I want you, I want you to look at the fellowship and the communion, communion that's taking place here in this example that he's giving us in the following verses. Look at verse number 15. I am speaking as to wise people. Judge for yourselves what I say. 
a cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, I've highlighted, drawn circles around and connected with lines, the little statement, is it not a sharing? Paul's asking these rhetorical questions. He's saying, are we not sharing together in that? Are we not sharing together in this? Verse number 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. Here it comes again. For all of us share. We're sharing together, once again, that one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices, here's another phrase, partners in the altar? You see, he's given the the, the example of having and partaking of the Lord's Supper, communion. When you eat the bread, we're sharing together collectively. We're partners. When you drink the juice, we're sharing together collectively. We're partners. When we eat the bread, we're sharing. We're all one is what he's saying. Those who eat the sacrifices, we are partners. Verse number 19 says, what am I saying then? The food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. Paul has said, I'm not saying the food is anything. I'm not saying that the idol is anything. We know it's nothing. But stay with this thought process. No, verse 20. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? And then are we stronger than he? Paul is saying when you do this, in all reality, you're having fellowship with him. When you do this, you're sharing. Now here is in the, the, the offering, the eating of the meat that had been offered to idols. And Paul is saying, we know that idols are nothing. We know the meat is nothing. But what you're doing, because you're sitting at the table, because you're partaking of that, just as we believers and Christians sit at the table of the Lord's Supper and eat, we're sharing together, we're partners together. Now what you're doing when you go out here, you're partnering with demons. You may not think you are, and, and you know better than that. And you know it's nothing, and you've written it all off, but you're having fellowship and partnering with demons. That's what Paul is saying. I wrote a few notes in my Bible. To sit at an idol's table could mean fellowship, communion, partakers with demons. And he says, don't do it. Are we stronger than he? Now, I've got to stop. Next week, I'm going to come back and I'm going to unpack that particular portion of Scripture we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, and we're going to unpack the doctrine of separation a little bit. And then we're going to come back and we're going to look at Matthew's gospel chapter 6, where Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. You can't sit at both tables. Matter of fact, does that not sound a little bit like Matthew chapter 6? Listen to what Paul said. He says you cannot, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. God said you cannot serve God, or Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Be ye separate, saith Lord. He quoted an Old Passage Testament, or Old Testament passage of Scripture, back from the Old Testament. We're going to unpack a little bit next week the doctrine of separation. That's where I was hoping we'd get to today, but we didn't get there, okay? We will start right there next week, okay? 
All right, hope you enjoyed this study. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together and the study of your word. It's so rich, so powerful. And Father, I just pray that you would just bless the studying of your word today. May it find its rightful place in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, you're at liberty to go.